right, Pete Giuliano, it is, let's see, holy cow, Tuesday, the 26th of January, 2021. That makes this, what's the number, Pete? 228, 228, crank it in, Ralph, crank it in. Crank, crank it in, Ralph, 228, here we go. All right, um, starting off here, uh, the first podcast of 2021. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. <laughs> of course, no travel to talk about because we're still in the pandemic emergency, but the vac- vaccines are on the horizon. They're coming. So soon we may be able to actually get away from the sits, stay yeah. in the shack. Although some of us may want to stay in a shack because <laughs> that's where we wanted to be anyway. But anyway, it'll be nice to be liberated. In the meantime, in this kind of final, hopefully final phase of the pandemic isolation, I like I guess like many people I find myself kind of reaching to the bottom of the barrel for things to do. <laughs> I I have started playing chess again. <laughs> I hadn't played chess since I was a kid. We had Russian immigrants who lived next door to us in New York and we learned to play from Mr. Uh, Oleg Yuzinski, who was a really good Russian chess player. My brother and I learned from him. So I just started playing and I started playing I started playing with one program and it didn't work out too well because it always beat me. But then I started playing with chess.com. If any of you feel like taking up chess, I recommend chess.com. I play against the AI bots. I, I don't play against human beings. I play against artificial intelligence bots. Nelson is tough, man. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I can beat Nelson, so that's good. Also, I want to make a, a film, a movie recommendation, Pete. And this is related to our podcast. It doesn't seem that way but it's related in a couple ways. Elisa and I have kind of burned through almost all of the Netflix series that people binge, binge watch. You know, this is a very common way to get through the pandemic, watch a lot of these kind of made-for-TV, um, Netflix, Amazon Prime videos. We found one that's particularly good. We like, we like to watch the foreign ones, even if they're in a foreign language. There's a lot of really great stuff out there. We were watching Rita from Denmark for a while, but lately we've picked up one, and this was recommended by Fareed Zakaria on CNN and by Max Boot in the Washington Post, and it's called The Bureau, and it is from France. It's a bit of a, a spy thing. I don't normally like that kind of stuff, but it's, it's set in France, so there's a lot of like French culture in there. It's also heavily involved in the Middle East, so you see a lot of Middle East stuff, a lot of very accurate kind of ethnic kind of discussion of Middle East issues. You get the Yazidis, you get the Kurds, the Sunni Arabs, the Shia, all this stuff. It's very interesting. And get that, this is the connection. When you watch them, it's also very high tech. They're, they're, They're using technology, especially cell phone technology, quite a bit. And when they're analyzing stuff, guess what audio program they're using? Audacity audacity shows up i look at that lisa thinks i'm nuts because i'm looking at the screen we're watching the video i'm saying look look they're using audacity so um i recommend that now and finally my other recommendation reading reading is always good pete reading's a good way to pass the time and i want to last time on the podcast i talked about this book that i've been reading conquering the electron the geniuses visionaries egomaniacs and scoundrels who built our electronic age it's a really nice book by Derek Chung and Eric Brock. And I just want to read you one passage. I mark this thing. Sometimes when I'm reading it, I, I mark it and say, man, i got to share this with the, uh, the solder smoke listeners. Okay, this is about the point in, 
in kind of transistor development where they started to make the shift from germanium to silicon. Now, you started out with germanium, the CK722, right? Right, correct. All right. Well, I'll just read you this one paragraph. For a while, they, they, they got started with germanium, but they realized that silicon was, a, was far superior, but it was difficult to manufacture. So this was in 1954. Uh, uh, I'm reading about what, I'll just read you the paragraph. After working quietly and under strict confidentiality at Texas Instruments for over a year, Teal was finally able to successfully fabricate the world's first silicon transistor. He announced his creation to the world in a most unusual way. While attending a technical conference, Teal Teal watched as one speaker after another extolled the virtues of a theoretical silicon transistor and then lamented the frustrations of being unable to solve the requisite fabrication challenges. You know, it's nice, but we just can't make it. When it was at last Teal's turn to speak, he simply walked to the podium, played music from an audio amplifier made with a germanium transistor then dropped the transistor circuit board into a glass of boiling water. Now, I'm imagining that the board itself was protected from from water. It was just the temperature they were trying to raise. To no one's surprise, the music went dead because the germanium transistor could not function at 100 degrees C, the temperature at which water boils. Teal then casually took out from his pocket a replacement transistor, pressed play again, and then immersed that circuit board in the boiling water. This time, the music kept playing. Slowly, it dawned on the audience what exactly they had just witnessed. As the assembled crowd broke into uproarious applause, Teal dramatically announced Texas Instruments' spectacular success in ushering in the new age of silicon electronics. Very cool. That's the kind of stuff that's in this book. There's a lot of stuff in there, that a lot of stuff about the history of radio and electronics that I hadn't been, been aware of, but Derek Chung really kind of captures it very, very well. Do they, do they mention about the silicon salamis? No, tell us about silicon salamis. Well, actually, they draw the silicon. So that, Yeah, they, that, they do talk about that, yeah. So, so you get this big thing, it looks like a salami, and then they had mm-hmm. to come up with a special saw to saw yeah, the to cut, saw, it. cut it. This, yep. and diamond, and cut diamond the wafers sauce. and everything else. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there too. There's this discussion of the first integrated circuits. Yeah, and I discovered that the first integrated circuit was invented exactly two days before I was born. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's, it's getting there. It's yeah. been around. It's older for a than while. you. <laughs> it's older than me. Yeah. <laughs> Little did they know how yeah. how deeply I would be opposed to the yeah. invention. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway, that's, that's, that's sort of things to do in the final days of the pandemic. Read this stuff, watch the videos, play chess with chess.com. You've been, what do you, what do you, you got any, any tips for, for surviving the final phase here, Pete? Well, it's interesting you should mention Netflix because I, I tour Netflix a lot. And, and the one that I like, there's a lot that come out of the UK. And mm-hmm. one in particular is called The Bodyguard. Did the you, Bodyguard. Did you ever see that one? No, no, this, I haven't seen that one. This guy ends up being the bodyguard to this female prime minister. Okay? Uh-huh. And there's a lot of intrigue, and I won't say any more, but it's if you like the Bureau, you'll love the bodyguard. Well, we'll have to check out the bodyguard. Also, uh, speaking of Netflix, um, 
uh, the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, I'm not sure chess. if it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime, but it's a chess the chess thing. It's about chess. Every, it's got everybody interested in chess. It fit in perfectly with the pandemic, but I, we liked that one also. All right, time to move on, Pete, and talk about radio and our benches. Ooh. Should I go first? Yes, go, go. All right, I have taken a detour, a radio detour. And this is, again, the result of the pandemic. I have a, a shed out in the backyard where I place some of those electronic pieces of, well, junk or, or, or electronic devices that I think, I'm never going to work on this thing, not anticipating the pandemic. Now I've kind of fixed and worked on everything in the real shack. So about a week, couple weeks ago, I went back there and I started rummaging around in the shed. And there it was. This little receiver that Roger, Papa Alpha One Zulu Zulu, he's now in Southern California, but he sent me this a while back. I think he sent it mostly because it has a really nice walnut case and it's got a nice reduction drive tuner on it. So I think he probably figured that I could turn this into something useful with a nice box and a nice capacitor with a reduction drive. I was on the verge of doing that of just cannibalizing this thing, gutting it, using the box, maybe the front panel. But I did a, a Google search on it, and it turns out that this radio actually is quite something. It's a KLH Ooh. Model 21, uh, Model Model 2. High-end. It's, yeah, it's, it's high-end stuff from about 1970. And um, KLH, the K stands for Klein. I think it's Hank Klein or Herb Klein. And he was one of the real pioneers in audio development. And this whole thing was built to be, this was like a pre-stereo. So it's a mono receiver, but it was made to have really superb sound. And I started poking around it, and it, it's basically two boards. One board is the tuner, and the second board is the audio amplifier. No chips on the audio amplifier, or all discrete components, and it ends up with the standard complementary pair PNP, NPN, uh, audio output stage. But every everything I read about this, it really sang the, the praises of it. And it, it, get this, acoustical suspension. Ooh. Wow. I never had a radio with acoustical suspension. It's like a jeweled movement. Almost as good as jeweled movements, yes. right? Wait a second. This receiver, and I know this is going to blow your SDR mind, it has a pillow. A pillow? a pillow, a pillow. See, I'm looking at Pete. He's got a shocked look on his face because of all of his years in radio, he has never come across a radio receiver that requires a pillow. Ooh, he's still he's dumbfounded. <laughs> yeah. He's perplexed. Yeah. I wish you could see it. All right, here's what the pillow is, and here's how it ties in with acoustical suspension. They they've got a nice little four inch speaker in this thing. At first, I thought the speaker was bad because the thing sounded terrible and I thought the cone had gotten dried out, but it looked okay. Um, I later found out that the problem was in the audio amplifiers. But what they mean by acoustical suspension is that it's got a closed case. The case is completely closed and, her and pretty much hermetically sealed. And it's set up so that the speaker, especially on bass notes, will resonate be well and it's important that a lot of the air inside the case be occupied with something. And that's the pillow. 
So the pillow, I don't know, it's, I guess it's about the size of a small loaf of bread. It's just basically a bag with fiberglass, and you're supposed to put that in there. Now, I don't know if, if I ever got the bag with full of fiberglass, but it's long since gone. But when I finally got this thing going, I manu- manufactured my own pillow out of a couple of old T-shirts that were about the right size, so I put them in there. So, Pete, imagine that. I've got a receiver with a pillow. The speakers were good. I found out that the problem really was the blown uh, AF amp finals. One of the one of the AF one of the transistors was blown. It may have been just that it got hot. It may have been that the the heat sink compound broke down over time. Whatever reason. So I you know I, I just ordered some um, Tip Twenty Nine C and Tip Thirty C complementary pair audio frequency amplifiers and i put them back in there kind of a bear to get them in there it was kind of a job i i I blew two sets of them in the course of putting them in there yes yes i did i did but listen you you got you like this too uh i i needed heat sink compound and i don't have any heat sink compound around here that's a yeah, the, yeah. The baby wipe, you know. Yeah, it's got it's it's got it's full of zinc oxide. So I put the desiccant in there as as smells a, as nice a too. It smells good. It's got a very nice odor. It's, you know, reminds me of when the kids when the babies were small. Um, anyway, I got this thing, and if, so finally, 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 I got it going, and it sounds really good. Except I start checking the thing. I'm checking, and you know, I'm sh- I'm sure you do the same thing, the the temperature check with your finger, right? I put my finger on the on the heat sink and it's blazing hot, way way too hot. You know, Doug Demore had this thing where if you could hold your thing on the finger on it for like thirty seconds, it was it was cool enough. No, no, it wasn't even close. No, so it was it was way too hot. It was pulling way too much current. So I put up a post on the blog asking the uh, the wizards of solder smoke world about what they thought was going on, and I got a few really great suggestions, and they thought that the problem was in the biasing circuit. The, the diodes that, that, that KLH had in the diodes circuit were probably perfectly matched to the characteristics of the audio frequency amplifier transistors that they originally had in there. And when I just substituted the TIP 29C and TIP 30C, it kind of discombobulated, to use a technical term, the biasing arrangements. They recommended a circuit that I had never before used, a VBE multiplier. Pete, have you used a VBE multiplier? No, no. Oh my gosh, this is like a red letter day for me. I have come up with two radio Ooh. things that Pete didn't know about. Holy cow. Um, the VBE multiplier, it's a simple circuit that allows you to, to, to adjust the bias going into the base circuits of push-pull audio amplifiers. They call it VBE multiplier because it's voltage base to emitter. You have a 2N3904 transistor in there that has the standard 0.6 voltage drop across the base to emitter junction. And you use a, a variable ca- a variable resistor, I, I, in my case a 10K resistor, connected in there. And this allows you to adjust the voltage that'll appear at the collector and the emitter. You hook up the collector and the emitter to the two bases of the audio frequency power amplifier, and Bob is your sister's. What? Bob is your mother. <laughs> Bob's your <laughs> uncle. Bob's your mother's brother. Yeah, there you go. Bob's your mother's brother. That's it. Anyway, um, so I got the VBE multiplier going, and I was able to adjust it so it's just perfect. It stays cool. It's cool running. It sounds wonderful. And you know what? I, I, I kind of like this because it's an electronic project that I worked on. I must say, sometimes 
and this this will sound like heresy to 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 many radio amateurs, especially these days. When you want to just listen to something while you're working on in the shack, you might not want to listen to what's going on on 75 and 40 uh. meters. You know what I'm talking about. Uh. So I can just turn. I turn. I have it on the bench. I have it at, sitting underneath my Rigol scope. I, in this nice walnut cabinet, I go. I turn the switch, and I can get classical music. I could get news. I can get the weather report. I can listen to classic rock. There's all kinds of great stations here. I actually went out and got off Amazon a little dipole antenna for the 40-meter broadcast band, tacked it up on the wall. Now, man, I get signals. It sounds it sounds wonderful. So, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of us like, to, like to, to turn to older pieces of gear because you could work on them in a way. I know you've done this recently yourself with the Tentec, which we'll talk about in a little yeah. while. But I... Uh, I got. A, I had a lot of fun working on this thing, and it's very satisfying. Now there's this beautiful radio, with with some history and with you know. And I learned a lot about pillows, VBE multipliers, hot heat sinks, acoustical suspension, um, really really good stuff. So thank you, Roger. Oh, when it came time for me to do the VBE multiplier, guys had recommended K0EET recommended it. A num- number of other guys, um, uh, Dex ZL2DEX chimed in and talked about. The, how to approach this problem but when i wanted to to actually see the best way to to kind of understand the vbe multiplier and build one i googled it and who did it turn to immediately our friend alan walke w2aew he had the video right there it's like every every question that pops into my head about electronics yeah. the solution is alan's videos so i went to his youtube channel and he had a beautiful little 10 minute video on on vbe multiplier what it does how to use it and how to make one Boom, there you go. It's in there right now. So th- this thing is far more than an appliance because I've worked on it. Now I understand the circuitry. And it's, it's my first real experience with, with FM and, uh, and fun. And I, I turned it on. It sounds, it sound, well, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it on. Hold on, hold on. Ooh. Listen to the bass. In case you don't know it, that's Simple Minds and they're a Scottish band. I had my headphones off. What would you say? I said, in case you don't know it, that's Simple Minds and that's a Scottish band. There you go. I mean, (laughs) boom. The radio gods have spoken. Yeah, there you go. Does this mean we're not going to hear much about the S38s and the HA600s for a while? (laughs) The HA600s are still sitting right here, but... This is a lot. You talk about easy listening. It sound it sounds good. I mean, it's got. You know, the other thing that was really fun with this thing before I put it back in the box, I could see the speaker, right? And when I cranked up the bass, you could see that whole cone kind of jumping in and out, yeah, jumping yeah, in. Yeah, dun, yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. It was quite a nice visual effect. Oh, yeah, it yeah, sounds good. It, it, no, it's, it's it's great. It's good, and I, I I'm real really pleased with it. All right, so that's. That's one project. Also, as we move along on my bench here, uh, um, and talk, talk, so, talking about audio amplifiers, our, our friend Tony Fishpool, uh, G4WIF, mentioned that he picked up some LM386 amplifier boards. Wow. And they looked really interesting. You know, because I'm sure you get the same way. You get, you get kind of tired of building amplifier boards i'm going to hold one up for you here look at this thing yeah look at that's it right anyway so this looked kind of cool tony said he had good results with it 
So I just went to Amazon and I found that you could buy 10 of them for 11 bucks. 10 for 11 bucks. And they, in my case, it depends, I guess it depends on where you are, same day shipping for like two bucks. So I ordered them. Now, if you go to the soldersmokeblogspot.com page, in the upper right, there's a little Amazon ad. I can have some fun with this because I can put whatever thing they're kind of hawking on the site. And so I put these. You'll see pictures of them. They're tiny little things. They're like half the size of your pinky finger. But they're easy to work with. you got four connectors, um, VCC, uh, ground, speaker out, audio in. And, and it, it really works. At one point when I was fooling around with the, uh, with the KLH receiver, when, the, when the, I still hadn't gotten the audio board working properly, I just ran the output from the tuner circuit into the LM386 board, and it sounded good. It sounded okay. It didn't sound as good as it, it does now, but it was completely usable. So there's a real potential here, and I find myself now thinking about how to, wait, how to connect up modules and make little, you know, simple one-day project, direct conversion receivers, or even, you know, super hats. So fun stuff there. Um, take a look at the pictures up there on the upper right of the Solder Smoke blog page. And thanks to, to Tony for, uh, for alerting us to that opportunity. Hey, you mentioned the HA600A. It's over there, Pete. It's right over there. It's looking at me. And now it has glowing numerals in Giuliano blue. I got them. I bought a bunch of these Sanjian, Sanjian. There's one of them. I bought three. You know, the other thing I do is whenever I buy, I need something. I'm sure you do the same thing. Don't buy one. If you need something, buy three, four, five, depending on how much they are. But get a bunch of them because you're probably going to need another one. So I got that. Got these things. I cut out a little Altoids kind of can and I put it in there, and I hooked it up to the Lafayette HA600. I found a place to tap off to get a, the output from the VFO found a place to, to get the power to run the power up to the to the uh, to the counter the counter was making a lot of noise a lot of noise and it was getting back into the receiver so I had to put a capacitor inside the counter box uh, to ground on the VCC line going in and I also had to put a little RF choke in there but I put the two of them in there and that knocked down any power any noise from the counter Co preventing it from getting yeah. back into the receiver yeah. so that was that was kind of fun to do that and then I had to adjust the um, um, the the frequency because you have an IF offset in the Sanjian counter. So I, I fooled around with that and I set it at like 455 or 456. And boom, now I have, I have glowing numerals on my Lafayette. And an accurate readout. And an accurate readout too. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's been fun. And then let's see what else. Oh, oh one other thing. Test gear trouble. You know, I, I always say that it, in this, in this game, you need to pause every once in a while and stop working on what you're working on and work on the bench, work on the test gear. That's certainly been the case for me lately. My Radio Shack multimeter was getting flaky. I bought this thing like 20 years ago, and I've still been using it. It's not auto-ranging. It's real simple, but it works. It's been very useful. And it just, all of a sudden, it started getting flaky and died. I had to open it all up. I had to clean it out. I had to hit it with a lot of deoxid. I think what was happening is the uh, there's these little tines, these little kind of connectors on a, on a rotary switch, similar to what we saw inside the uh, Hewlett-Packard uh, frequency generator. And some of them were making kind of intermittent contact. So I went in there and, and fixed that up. So I got it working. But I, I do think that I'm going to be looking for a new kind of um, frequency 
uh, a new kind of uh, multimeter, something a little bit more advanced, something with auto ranging. And I, I'd asked you and and Grayson and Alan for recommendations. And Alan, you all came back with some great ideas. So I'll, I'm going to take a look at that. Oh, here's another. This is a, a, a tale of woe, Pete. When I was in the UK many years ago, I picked up at probably at the Kempton Park Rally this really wonderful little audio frequency oh, function yeah, yeah, generator. Yeah, yeah. I use this thing all the time. It's from, and I can never remember how the Brits say this, Maplin or Maplin. Oh, yeah. Know. It's like their equivalent of Radio Shack. And uh, this thing was really nice. And it, uh, you know, what I would use it for. If I needed an audio tone into one of my BitX transceivers, I know you you frequently you know program the SI5351 to give like a tune tone. I was doing it bare bones, kind of old school, simple. I would just plug this thing into the mic jack and crank in a few millivolts of 1KC energy, produce the tone at low levels, then I'd be able to tune the antenna and get everything squared away. So I, it saved me from having to build like audio test circuits into all these big oh, yeah, rings. Yeah. But now the thing just quit. It just quit on me. It just stopped. And it it's very uh, discouraging. However, there is some encouragement here because I have the, the manual and the schematic. And there's there's just there's like four or five chips in there. It's gotta be one of the chips that went bad. Here's the there's two good pieces of news here. First, all the chips are easily obtainable via Amazon. Amazon will sell you each one of the chips. So there's not a sourcing problem. And here's the other best part. All of them are in sockets. Oh. Just pry them out, put a yellow in there. Pry them out, plop them in. No soldering, Bill. No soldering. No no chance of soldering them upside down and backwards like I've done in the past. Um, So anyway, that's that's, um, what we're going to work on there. And then one other thing. Hey, a lot of stuff has been going on. I almost forgot about straight key night. Ooh, SKN, yeah. SKN, CW, my friend. Straight key, pound and brass. I know you're you're not really into it. I, I'm going to tell you a story when you come to my segment. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep that in mind. Yeah. Anyway, like, like I mean, the in the final minutes, I'm I turn to the Lafayette HA six hundred. I'm tuning around on New Year's Day. And all of a sudden, I'm down in the CW portion of the band, and I hear these guys calling CQSK, and I thought it was like SKCC, because they're always the straight key century club and all that, SKN. And I said, holy, holy moly, it's New Year's it's straight key night. <laughs> so I, I turned, ran, ran over, fired up the HT37, the Drake 2B, and I managed to get one QSO in before the end of the... Uh, the the uh, the activity I guess you can't call it a contest so, but I I did get on the air for straight key night so I made one contact hey you know I mentioned my RFI the RFI on forty meters the every fifty KCs and turning for I talked about this last time my theory my hope was that there was Christmas lights but now it's it's January twenty sixth and almost all the Christmas lights have been turned off. It's still there. It's something else. I, I sent you a picture. Of, I'm seeing the same thing here. I know. I know. Yours is a little bit different frequency-wise, but but we'll get we're gonna get get around to it. I guess on one of these days where I really don't have something to do, I'll take the little shortwave receiver and start walking around the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They get, it's, it's, it, this is one step away from walking around with a tinfoil hat. You know. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> 
Pete, what's on your bench? Hey, hey, before we do that, Shameless Commerce Division. Oh, man, that's right. The Shameless Commerce Division. Hey, uh, I mentioned the um, the Amazon page up there in the upper right-hand corner of, uh, of the blog page. T- check it out. It's got some really cool pictures. Now, I, I'm going to try to update the pictures every few days to have it reflect what we're what we've been talking about for a while we had gene shepherd's books up there and now i have up there the lm386s that tony mentioned but i'll change it every once in a while variety is the spice of life plus even though these things are featured and shown there you can search for anything you want that amazon offers which is just about everything you know lamborghinis you know forty thousand dollars spectrum analyzers things like that buy it we get a piece of the action bezos sends us some money and you get to support the Solder Smoke podcast. Um, also, Patreon is up there. Some guys like to be be patrons, and the Patreon thing is up there. And it makes me feel like I'm I'm sort of in league with the SVD Los. There you go, <laughs> people. It's living vicariously through the SVD Los thing with because of Patreon. So check it out, Pete. What's on your bench? Uh, okay, I'm going to start with a story. Tell me a story. Uh, last week. We had a major power outage. Well, it was two things. High winds, 70-mile-an-hour winds, Southern California. 70-mile-an-hour winds. That was like a hurricane, my poor bean. So uh, Southern California Edison, because they have a $2 billion lawsuit from a fire that was caused by their equipment, now shuts down the power proactively. But in my case, in the neighborhood, there were a major power outage for 11 hours. 11 hours, the power was out. So, what do you do? So, I, I went to the cell phone, and, and the power affected the cell sites. So, we had no communications, no telephone. I, I figured with my phone, I get on the internet. You know, you could at least read mail and yeah. what have you. None of that was working. But then I remembered something when I used to work for AT&T. I have a 1970s touchtone phone, 1970s, and I have a landline. You can plug that touchtone phone in the landline, and even though the power's out, the signal voltage comes through the telephone lines, not through the power lines. Because you never plugged in, you know, the, tele- the old telephones, you just plug them in and they worked. So I had communication. So here's the frustrating part. I called Southern California Edison, and they said, download our app. <laughs> Get the latest. What do you mean, download your app? I can't, you know. And it was frustrating, so I... I could call my daughter, and and she had power, and of course she was able to do some stuff for me. But just to file a report, you you cannot you could not file a report without going to the website. I mean, it was terrible. Eleven hours, eleven hours oh of stuff was out. And so, go buy yourself a touchtone phone. You can get them on eBay for about five bucks. <laughs> and if you have a landline. <laughs> I don't the, think I have the landline anymore. Yeah, but, well. Hey, but but I'll make you a recommendation too. I, I I talked about this before. We were for a while when we first came back, we were getting a lot of a lot of power outages here, summertime, wintertime. Mm-hmm. They've since fixed up the line, so we don't get it anymore. But at one point, I was contemplating buying a generator of some sort. That's usually a bad idea, unless it's unless it's something that's like running off natural gas and it's kind of installed properly. But a gasoline generator, the gas goes bad, the exhaust yes. is carbon monoxide, you don't maintain it, it gets rusty, it doesn't inverter. work when you want to tire it. Yeah. I bought an inverter. Yeah. I spent I spent I think twenty three dollars on Amazon and I got a one point three KW inverter. And so 
my generator was in essence my Honda Accord yeah. sedan. Yeah. I'd park out in the driveway. I'd put the put the inverter across the battery terminals, and I would have enough juice to run a small air conditioner, TV set, lights, TV set. Yeah. Holy cow, we were the envy of the yeah. neighborhood there for a while. Yeah, it's just. It's just it was so frustrating. They said, all it is, download the app. What do you mean download the app? The cell sites are down. <laughs> Finally, the cell sites got up. So it was a, a real experience uh, to go through that. And matter of fact, uh, Southern California Edison says, tell us about our service. <laughs> and I unloaded. <laughs> I unloaded. Up. Okay. So, so uh, I'd like to start first with I was a guest speaker on a webinar uh, conducted by the Radio Society of Great Britain on the uh, January 11th, and um, along with Steve Hartley and myself, uh, we presented uh, a, a series there. Steve talked about home brewing uh, more on the hardware side, and I talked about home brewing on, with regard to software-defined radios. And it was interesting because they had it live streamed on YouTube, and they had people submit questions or comments. And, and Bill, it was striking. Um, I think I really try hard to, when I present information, to pr pr present it in a way that it's not so technical that you're off in the deep end. And all these guys are putting in there and they said, I don't understand this stuff. I'll stick with my ICOM 7300. That's a quote. I'll stick with my ICOM 7300. I mean, what's he talking about? What's he talking about in phase and quadrature? You know, these guys are hams. <laughs> and and if you if you want to be a ham, you have to know something about the hobby. I was shocked. I was shocked. And and the guy says, I'll just stick with my... Several people said that. And a couple of guys did have some interesting questions. And they they, they were interested in the technical side of it. But I, I don't think I, I get so in the weeds that, you know, you, you'd, you'd lose, lose the audience. I tried to present it in a way with some examples and what have you. But... Notwithstanding, it was uh, it was a fun experience, and um, it, it was really really good. No, oh, I I really liked it. I, I I did I didn't know about it, and then I saw about it after the fact. So I was really glad that they put it up pretty quickly. So I watched it, and it was it well, was, okay. It was great. D was I off in the weeds? <laughs> no, no, you were not. <clears throat> I mean, it, it it is a problem that that, and I we've we've talked about this many times. Some people will get defensive because they feel kind of less than a kind of a complete radio amateur when they realize that other people are actually doing things with electronics yeah. and building things and trying to learn and trying to improve. And uh, this makes them feel, I don't know, I guess kind of inadequate. And they, they start, then they criticize. Well, yeah. I, I'm, my 7300 is better than, than that. Ah. Yeah. My cell phone's probably better too, but I, I don't <laughs> yeah. go around bragging about yeah. it. <laughs> so, well, some guys did say, made a comment, says, "Well, I got my cell phone. I don't need that." So, okay. But anyway, you were mentioning about CW. Uh, I won't. Oh, I won't go into the details, but I but I've been invite been invited to do a technical presentation in front of a CW club. <laughs> <laughs> about homebrewing <laughs> CW <laughs> transmitters and transceivers. You might want to think about this one, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got to start it. So, uh, and and I did did realize that I've produced uh, several technical papers and articles on CW transceivers. So it, it's not like I'm off in the weeds. But when you said that, I said, <laughs> you know, I, I I look. I got started in CW. I, I did it for years. I liked it. I understand. Yeah. 
But then I, I find myself drifting away. And, and the, you know, the thing is, when you study the history of, of the mode of radio and, and how it was developed, even when they were developing it early, in, early on, they never intended that people would be required to memorize and put it all in their head and copy it in their head. Yeah. The other thing is, we have technology that will do that for you. We had it when we had radio teletype. You know, the with the clacking mechanical machines. Now we have PSK thirty one and JT eight and all that other stuff. So there's no need to kind of use your brain. And also, as you, I think you put it at one point, communicating one letter, letter at a time, <laughs> and spelling yeah. everything else. You would not sit there and talk to somebody <laughs> saying H E L L O E T E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I every time I now I'll say this: there is an advantage in simplicity. Yeah. Right. So when I built my little ET2 transceiver using one transistor for the transmitter and one transistor for the receiver, CW was the only possible mode where that would work. It's just, there's nothing, there's nothing simpler. So but simplicity, it's, it's, it's advantage. However, I just don't understand guys who have like a, a $6,000 transceiver with all kinds of weird circuitry and exotic circuitry in there, and they're using it basically to turn the thing on and off. Yeah, CW. Yeah. I don't well, get it. Uh, embedded in my presentation is the Michigan Mighty Might, so I want to I want to focus on that. <laughs> That's well. There you go. There's there is simplicity. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, hey, listen. I was going through the junk box here, and I found a bunch of crystals. Thirty-five seventy-nine. There you go. So when you're making the presentation. Don't make any promises, but you can mention that, you know, if people are in need of a rock, yeah, if they can make the case and they can convince me that they're actually going to build something with it, I will I will renew our efforts to distribute. I think we sent down like 45 yeah, crystals yeah, last yeah. time. I thought it was 48. Right. 48, there you go. Yeah. Right. Matter of fact, yeah, I think so. you sent two to one guy because it was the father and the son. We're going to build Oh, yeah, them. I know. Well, and, and a lot of them were built. We still yeah. get reports. Yeah. And I think now it's even more fun because now you can get on the air and listen for yourself on the Reverse Beacon Network or you could watch some of the the uh, the online, the Kiwi SDR receivers and things like that. So there's yeah. even more possibilities now for, for, well, for fun when, and when I get it done, When I get it done, I'll send it to you. You can look at it. You'll, you'll smile and get a... <laughs> but it, I Giuliano, said, back into CW, my go, friend. There you go. CW, and probably at QRP levels, to QRP CW. Yeah, there you go. They're going to they're be so proud of you over there in GQRP. They're going to, you know... <laughs> you're... Your banishment will be reconsidered. Yeah, <laughs> all's forgiven. Actually, they're trying very hard to do that. Believe it or not, they're they're to trying to tw twist my arm to write articles for QRP Quarterly. Yeah. Oh, QQ. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, guess. I, th I guess. I, <laughs> I think you should go for it. Do it. I mean, people benefit so much. It's fun. Just, just. I, I think. I think it's a great idea. Plus, they sent us all these nice filters, Pete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think. Yeah, yeah. We are. We are. You know, we're not above bribery. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. we, should, we should admit that, I, right? I think, I think that was part of it. <laughs> <laughs> they no. sent something to me hoping that I'd influence you. Pete, go ahead. Come on, write some articles <laughs> yeah, for there QQ. You, go. you can do it, my friend. So on my bench are, are two project radios that, that I picked up. Uh, one I picked up about a year ago, and I want to talk about that. And this is a Tentec Triton II. Tentec, I love the look of this thing. Tentec Triton II. And actually, they came out with the Triton I first and then the Triton II second. And the difference was power level. The Triton I 
was uh, essentially about a 50-watt radio. And I think what they did is they had the Argonaut, the 505, and the 509. And then they sold sold a separate power amplifier that got you 50 watts. They had the power mic to yeah. the PM1. Yeah. So then they got convinced to put it all in one, and they came out with the Triton 1, and then people said, ah, forget the 50 watts. So then they went to the Triton 2. And the um, thing was, I, I got this. It was described as, uh, you know, kind of for parts and not working. And I got it, and I got it working. But I made a list of things that I wanted to fix. Somehow, in these radios, people lose the speaker. I mean, it was it has a built-in speaker, but it was gone. And I think what happens is, speaker was mounted on the bottom plate. And what would happen is, they'd try to remove the bottom plate. And as a result, they'd pull the wires out of the speaker cone. <laughs> you know, they didn't realize they had to take the remove the speaker first before you took the bottom off. So that's why when you see radios with no speaker, and that's what typically I think happens. So I had no speaker and it seemed a little deaf on, on 80 meters. So I said, okay, I'll get to it. And like you, you said you went through the shack and finally you you worked your way through everything. And yeah, now yeah. So I said, okay, time to work in this. So I had it on the air and I said, I got to tackle that 80 meter problem. So I said, well, let me, let me tune it up and see what it's, let's, Let's eliminate the common circuits. If I can get full power out, then I know it's just in the receive section. So I, I, I put it into a dummy load, and in a couple of seconds, it died. I mean, it just, no no power out, and it was inexplicable because it was not a mismatched load. You know, didn't operate without an antenna, and there was not an anomaly in the power supply. And so I said, okay. So I got out, I have a manual with it, and I got it out, and I went to this uh, one board, and I said, let's start there, and it was a receiver and transmit mixer. So essentially coming into the board is the SSB generated at 9 megahertz, and then on that board, it's mixed with the yellow, and then coming out of that board goes into the bandpass filter, and then on up, up the line. So I, so I had the 9 megahertz single sideband coming in, which was good, and I had the yellow coming in, which was good, but nothing coming out of the board. And they used two two transistors. They had one transistor, which was essentially the amplifier for the nine megahertz single sideband, and then that went into a essentially a homebrew double balance mixer. So there was nothing coming out of the double balance mixer. There was LO going in, sideband going in, but in the emitter lead of this amplifier transistor, they had another transistor, and it was a, a NPN, and it was the the collector was connected through a small resistor to the uh, emitter of, of the amplifier transistor, and then there was another uh, resistor to ground. So essentially, the ALC was pumped into the second transistor. So, th so it was acting as a variable emitter resistor, depending upon what was being sensed in the ALC. So it didn't look like there was anything coming out of the ALC. So, so I said, uh-oh. ALC uh, essentially samples the, the the final RF output, amplifies it, and then there's a switching transistor in our Darlington pair that supplies the ALC voltage. There was one other location on the board that ALC is supplied to. So essentially you had the mixer, bandpass filter, and then a low-level amplifier, and that also has ALC applied to it. And nothing coming out of there. So I said, man. What's wrong here? What? Why? Why don't? Why am I not seeing any ALC voltage? And uh, there was a uh, a reference voltage, a, a five volt reference zener uh, that was set the would set the level as to when this thing would start to trigger. 
and uh, it looked a little, it was a glass diode, it looked a little smoke. You know when you smoke those diodes, you can't, typically you can see through and you couldn't see through. So All I right. replaced that, replaced a couple of the transistors, still nothing. So then I, I went on the 10 tech reflector and you had to join, so I says, okay, uh, I'll, I'll join it and see if someone has had some experience with this and uh, also search through the archives. And I saw a posting by Allison, our friend Allison. I haven't heard from Allison yeah. in a long time. KB1GMX. So I said, you know, if anybody would know. <laughs> Allison will know. Allison will know. And she has a couple of Tentex because she mentioned. So she said, uh, I have the later in the series, but I don't have any schematics for that. Send me the schematics. And, uh, you know, also don't don't go wholesale replacing parts because I mentioned I replaced some parts because then you'll not know where you're at. Right. And then she said, look for the not so obvious. So I said, okay. So I had the manual, and I, and this is why I actually hate manuals on the Internet because you can't look at pages side by side. <laughs> you know, you have, to, you have to go up, you have to go down, and, and even in a book it's not very good. So I, I took some pictures of the schematics for the SWR ALC board, the mixer board, and then the subsequent low-level amplifier printed them out and put them in front of me and then I looked and I said you know what there's no collector voltage there is no collector voltage on a Darlington pair because you, you didn't see it in the schematic it just jumped out at me when I put things side by side so then there there's a two pins one is the ALC pin and another one said ALC light now what the Tentech radios do is they have a little panel mounted. In some cases it was an incandescent bulb. In some cases it's an L later on it was an LED. You adjust the the amount of drive so that the light just flickers, and that tells you that's the proper amount of ALC so that you're not overdriving the amplifier. So I looked on there and there was no light, and so then I looked on the schematic and way back in the overall master schematic a real small print. It showed to that pin that says ALC light had a light bulb, and on the other end, the light bulb was 12 volts. So essentially, 12 volts was being supplied to that light bulb, passing through the light bulb, and that's what was supplying the voltage to the Darlington pair. So then, simple deduction if that light bulb is out, no 12 volts. So that is a good, <laughs> that is a cool fix. <laughs> so I said, Okay. Well, actually, in some ways, it's like a fuse. If you yeah. over over ALC it, you blow, blow it. Later on, they got rid of that incandescent bulb because all the, the follow-on circuits to the follow-on in the series uses the exact same circuit, except it doesn't have the light bulb as an LED, which wouldn't, you know, the wouldn't incandescent blow. wouldn't blow. So anyway, I, I said, well, I don't have one of those light bulbs. So I just jumpered 12 volts right into there. Boom. Power out. Full power oh, out. Oh, man. That that is a satisfying fix. That you know, the worst thing is when you go through and you do a whole troubleshoot, and then you find oh, you just needed to jiggle this thing, yeah, or you just needed yeah. a spray of deoxid. That's kind of disheartening. Yeah. But when you find a really obscure, out of the way component that has gone open on you, then you're like, oh man, like puzzle solved. It was it was it was over a week, Bill. It was over a week, yeah. and I'm saying. But why isn't there any voltage on that? And and when you see a pin that says ALC light, you tend to think that it's supplying voltage to a light, not that the light is supplying the voltage. <laughs> I know. I mean, just we just tend to think, oh, okay, that goes to the light, 
and and you assume the ALC would because the ALC is coming off the other pin that in fact it was voltage being supplied. No, it's the other way around. Voltage was coming in on that pin, and then the ALC was being being triggered to the other parts of the circuit. So once it did that, so anyway, where in a, where in the heck are you going to find a grain of wheat six volt fifty milliamp light bulb today on the internet? No, no, I couldn't find junk it. box. What, no. All electronics out in Van Nuys, California. <laughs> Those guys have everything. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so, taking the lesson for you, I bought four. <laughs> yeah. Not, not you're, one, you're, I bought four. You're ready. <laughs> bought four. But anyway, it was one of these things that um, just, you find it, and then when the simple fix was to, to see that that's what you needed to supply the voltage. That's another thing. To the average guy, reading schematics and everything else, the manual wouldn't have told you that. I mean, you had to you had to just scratch your head saying, "Where? Why is there no source voltage to that?" So um, uh, that was a real lesson, and I'm expecting the bulbs here in the next day or so, so I'll make it. But I, I've come up with a slick thing to get to that bulb in the front panel. You have to disassemble. The whole front panel, pull the front panel because I've done this before. It it is a it is a bear to do that. So Allison came up with a good idea. She said, uh, get a little LED circuit and put it uh, put it behind the meter so that the meter flashes. So wow! You, so that'll be cool. Yeah. So I'm looking at that, and then I actually found a, an exact meter. So I'm thinking about. Uh, maybe not you you may not be able to see it real well so what i'm thinking about doing is i bought a, an exact meter found it on on ebay i'm going to drill a little hole in the meter swap out the meter and just put the light bulb right in the meter so it'll be like in the corner so oh, i have man, to do is look, be cool. look, look, look at that in the meter there's just the two brackets takes the meter out so it's, that's easier to get to than doing that so the other project Wait, wait, I gotta, I gotta say, you, you, you've just dispensed so much tribal wisdom here, Pete, that I just want to, the things that struck me, I was taking notes as you told this wonderful story. First, Allison's advice about not just shotgunning oh, so, yeah, replacement yeah. of parts, that's really important, and I violate that from time to time, and I always regret it. I did it with the KLH receiver. At one point, I wasn't sure which transistor was bad, so I just replaced about four of them. Bad move. Yeah. Do them one at a time so you find out which one is bad. Yeah. The other thing, the way you went to the internet and looked to see if anybody else has dealt with this or, or thought about it, I find myself doing that all the time now. And it's a real, it's a time saver. Sometimes you'll come across somebody back in 2007 discussing a similar problem and guys will be comparing notes. Sometimes it won't be directly on the problem that you're dealing with, but there'll be some information in there that'll stir up an idea. And the third thing, when you said that you just pulled out the schematics and you just sat there and looked at them and started to think, that is really important. I mean, I always, always on this at this point, I think about uh, Richard Feynman when he was a when he was a kid in Brooklyn. He was he would repair radios because this the gangs. is the time where everybody had radios <laughs> for the gangs, <laughs> right? And he would go around, but in his neighborhood, he would fix the radios and. They would call him into a, a tenement apartment, and he'd, he'd turn it on, and he'd listen to it. And then, you know, he would just sit there and look at it, listen to it, play with the controls, maybe touch the antenna connector on the back, something like that. And then just from looking at it and thinking about it, 
he would come up with a diagnosis on this simple, almost always an All-American 5 receiver of some sort. And so the people would be amazed when he fixed it, and they would say, well, how did you know what was wrong? And he would just say, well, I would I think I would think about it. I would think about what would cause this symptom. And the people were amazed. One one guy, I think the chapter in the book was, he fixes radios by thinking about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to wrap up the Tentec with one other thing. The, uh, the way, the reason the 80 meters was kind of deaf, usually receivers are pretty, pretty hot on 80 meters. You got more signal than yeah. you know what to do with. They have a... a, a panel mounted control called resonate control and actually when you turn this knob it's driving a gear and this gear has an assembly that's like a trolley assembly it has two cores that move up and down so you turn them you rotate the knob and actually the two cores go up and down there's a mosfet dual gate mosfet rf amplifier and the two cores are the input core and the output core but they got the whole range of uh, of the core travel covers the whole HF band, but then when you go to a specific band uh, underneath the chassis, they have a trimmer. So for that band, you peak the trimmer. The 80 meter band trimmer was not peaked in the right location. So even though you got close, you didn't have it resonant. I mean, you you've seen that before in front ends yeah. with the S38. Yeah. You said, oh yeah. yeah, it got close, but I could hear a signal, but it wasn't. You know, tuned yep. on frequency. This is essentially an alignment problem. Yes, an alignment problem. So I, I fixed that. And then uh, 40 meters. And then the other thing is I noticed the S meter wasn't working too well. Well, once you peaked it up, <laughs> now the S meter works because you're getting enough signal in there. So as a matter of fact, that's how I that's how I peaked it. I put a signal generator across the room. So it's essentially a weak signal. Put it in the yeah. middle of the band. Tweak that trimmer. And when the S meter moves, it's okay. Forget the, like, forget the alignment instructions that they told you to do. <laughs> this works. <laughs> this works. But then I, bet you, I guess you didn't really pay much attention to the what, how many millivolts produce an S9 signal, how many microvolts. No, no. It's, you, it's not you worth can, it. Yeah, you, you can't. You can calibrate it. But me, I was more interested in getting peak signal coming out of there. So Yeah, the, you know, the other thing is you mentioned ALC and AGC. Yeah. I mean, every time I start working on one of these circuits, I start cursing them, saying it's like training wheels. How many rigs have we built that don't have any ALC or any AGC? AGC, you turn down the volume if it's too loud, right? It's nothing automatic about it. And ALC, well, just set up your transceiver so you're not overloading or overdriving any of the amplifiers. But this is like, I, I mean, the HW101 has this elaborate alc circuit in there and it just causes more trouble i just wish it wouldn't have it in there i might actually take the whole thing out and just rely on my own ability to avoid sure. flat topping and splatter well the other thing too is uh what i typically do is i'll sample the rf not not plug to it directly on the rigs i build and then i'll see where the mic gain is as i start the flat top on the scope and then yeah. i say i put a mark on the panel don't go over <laughs> don't adjust the, the other thing you can do is and another another trick, you could just look at the SWR meter, right? Yeah. And you could see at what point, like you know, it's it's the maximum deflection. And then when you're speaking, the Back meter should off. be going up about half of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About half of that, and that'll keep you out of the flat top region. Yeah. But anyway, that's all good stuff. The, the other the other rig is a I picked up a Swan two forty. This I love one that was rig. was really your your picture was beautiful. Yeah, it was a wonderful picture. Yeah, well, I, I looked at it and and I got it for steel. I got it for a steal. 
And the guy says, I don't have a power supply or a cord. I said, well, that's not a problem. I got a power supply and a cord. <laughs> so I got it for a steel. And as soon as I put it on, it worked. But I noticed something interesting. This is another piece of tribal knowledge here. I noticed that you'd set the bias and I would work. And then a few minutes later, the bias would change. And I, and I knew it wasn't the supply because I've used the supply on other radios and that's not a not a not an issue with the bias supply. So I said I bet you there's there's starting a problem with a short in that final. And sure enough, <laughs> it blew the final. And uh, so I had some, a spare 60Q5, uh, put a new new tube in there and re-neutralized it. And now you set the bias and it doesn't move. So I mean I was getting a message telling me that this thing is probably going to blow because of the, the variability of the bias. You set the bias and then come back. You're lucky, you're lucky you got it out of there before it blew could yeah. take out the power supply too. Yeah, it could have. Well, it did. Yeah. It, well, the circuit yeah. breaker popped. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. So yeah. The, yeah. This, he, I, I'm using a Heath kit supply. So I popped a new one in there, and it, it's really fun to put that radio on, on 20 meters and make some contacts. And, and the thing is, I listen to it, and you need to spend some time listening. And I listened to it, and I listened to some radios I built. The, the modern technology radios <laughs> are are far better. I mean, oh, uh, but they're not as much fun. <laughs> not as much fun. Hey, I, I, you know, I I, 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 I gotta tell you, there's there's there was there was so much noise. I mean, they're running those amplifiers in such a way that they they're they're actually amplifying the noise. They yeah. they didn't look a gain distribution across the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where some of the stuff I build, I'll look at the gain distribution and say, look, I don't need as much front-end gain, but I'll put it on the back-end so that I can hear the signals. And it makes a world... I mean, you can adjust the gains and you can see where that optimal point is. So, But anyway, it's a piece of stuff. It's over 60 years old, and it still works. I had one of them. I had a Swan 240 in the Dominican Republic, probably around 1993, 1994. Uh, Pericle, H-I-8-P, probably gave it to me. You know, this was one of those rigs that I just looked at it and I said, this is a hopeless, hopeless case. Because it had op obviously suffered from both powered line surges in through the AC line cord that had taken out a whole bunch of circuitry. And then being in the tropics, it had also probably suffered from light nearby lightning strikes coming in through and, the and antenna port. Fung fungus growing inside the rig. <laughs> High humidity. It was... Yeah. It was it was screwed, blued, and tattooed. Yeah. It was messed up. And so that was one of my first cannibalization projects. And I just cannibalized the whole thing. But I took a lot of parts out of there. Good variable capacitor. And the filter. The filter is about around 5.137 megahertz, something right. like that. Right. Made up of four crystals with a with a coil in it. A bifiller so wound? Yeah, trifiller wound you know, on a big thing. You know, the first SSB transmitter that I made used that filter. Sure. I, I took, I had the crystals, and I, I consulted some of the, the books, Understanding Amateur Radio. I saw how to wind the coil. I put it in there. I didn't even realize at the time, but I was making my own crystal lattice filter Yeah. for that rig. And I, and, and I still have the transmitter, and it's still got parts from the, the Swan 240. So that Swan 240 that Pradikle gave me lives on. But... Um, it's fun. It's I, I love working on this old these old rigs. It's 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 just just a lot of fun. Okay, and I'm gonna do a peek and peer into the future. Uh, K4 FMH Frank 
has a podcast called ICQ. And uh, he recently interviewed this, uh, this guy from... Uh, he works for the Space Sciences or Solar Measurements. He's from Scotland. I think his name is Scott. And uh, it, it was really interesting because they're talking about Cycle 25. He did an analysis of, of all the 24 cycles in the past, and he's predicting that cycle 25 is going to be maybe as big as cycle 19. Airborne. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So guess what? I have started work on a 10-meter single sideband transceiver. You know, I had the same <laughs> thinking. I was thinking about the same thing. I said, you know, maybe I need something for 10 meters. Okay. No. Take one of those 9 megahertz filters. I got one right here. Look. Put, pop it in the circuit. Pop it in the circuit. And then... You can put the Arduino. I I I've got the sketch already done, so that you can operate uh, ten meters. A little some of the LM three eighty six boards. Yeah, it might even be able to use one as a as a mic amp. Yes, yes. There you go. So and ten meters. Bob will be your uncle. We'll be we'll be talking to each other on ten meters. Yes, I mean, All right. he, I listened to the podcast, and uh, he. I mean. This is this is science based and database. You know, like we talk about COVID nineteen science based and database. Science is good. Science he, and he, data. He went back to seventeen fifty seven, the first observation of the sunspots, and then he's he talked about the difference between the sunspot cycle and the solar cycle. So there's other parameters in there that he looked at. So he did this quarter dimensional analysis that says cycle twenty five is going to be as big as cycle nineteen. I'm I'm in favor. This is the kind of optimistic yeah. thinking that I think yeah. helps. It think you know positive vibes, like Donald Sutherland used to say in in that old war movie. Stop with the negative vibes. Yes. yes. So I like the positive thinking. Everybody yeah. think positively. Ke Kel Kelly's Heroes. That's Kelly's Heroes. A good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good movie. So, so Pete. Anyway, ten meter coming up. What's happening in the world of SDR? Exciting things. I mean, there's more guys working on stuff. Uh, Nick Wood, M0NTV, has got a really nice... Uh, did, you saw the video, didn't you, of his SDR? Oh, beautiful. It's the, With a uh, the really useful rig in a, in a plastic yeah. box. I liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's the, the Eden DSP group in, in, uh, in England, uh, G4GXO. Uh, they're working on one. They have this uh, other group, the Backpack SDR. Uh, the micro SDX guys are still trying to trying to say, oh yeah, the radio works good in transmit, but I haven't I haven't seen the case. I saw I saw a video with the uh, that that new German board. Yeah, the DL two MAN. Yeah. Yeah, and they were just they were just showing it on receive. It sounded good on receive. I know that's not the problem. The problem is on transmit. Yes, right? problem is yeah. on transmit. So I think there's many things coming, and there's a couple other guys that uh, asked me not to say anything, but there's some U.S. guys. Working on a new SDR transceiver kit. Ooh, ooh. Well, enough said. We won't. Well, mum's the yeah, word. Yeah. So, uh. I would say by by mid midsummer, you're going to see the the market flooded with not only kits from China but U.S. based kits. Going to be amazing, amazing times. Good, good time. As you said, a great time to be a radio amateur. Yep. Pete, time for the mailbag. Yep. We got a lot of good mail over the last month or so uh, and, and a lot of people send it as great stuff uh, bill n8et 
who was the uh, the GQRP guy supplier in in the USA, the US rep. You know, he had a, a terrible flood a few years ago, and a lot of the, a lot of his stock was wiped out. But he salvaged some of those great fil- filters, nine megahertz filters, eight pole nine megahertz filters, which are no longer which are no longer available. No longer available. But he sent you a bunch of them and sent me a bunch of them. And every time I look at them, I think, how many transceivers will arise <laughs> from that flood? Yeah. Thank you, Bill. That was really great. Um, you mentioned Nick, M- M0NTV, working on a, on his HDR. He calls it a, kind of a hybrid HDR-SDR project because he's he's doing a lot of the phasing and then going in and doing the SDR at audio. Okay. And uh, and then, I'll, then, then we also mentioned uh, Kevin. Alpha Alpha 7, Yankee Quebec. Uh, Alpha Alpha 7, Yankee Quebec, the smoke jumper. Um, he's building a hybrid SDR, HDR rig, and he has launched a, a blog. It's a very similar project, and he's, he's doing great work with that. I told, I told Nick that he should get in touch with Kevin because they're both involved in, in very, very similar projects. Uh, Grayson, KJ7UM. Uh, the the guy who is who brought us Hollow State Design, he launched a new blog, very very fine business, with a lot of wisdom. Uh, Grayson is the kind of guy who who really just because his everything he does has such a large amount of a tribal wisdom in there that it's that it's great. And I'm glad he's got a new blog. We have links uh, links to the blog up on the soldersmoke uh, uh, blogspot page. Uh, Thomas, K4SWL of the SWL Post blog. Uh, Thomas, he's a guy that we, we correspond with. I, I check his blog quite often. He's got the shortwave listening blog, Thomas. And he put this thing up about this this audio, this, this kind of test recording for the Kearsarge Mountain Transmission System. And it's this really kind of weird but, but, but entertaining audio program and uh and i was really glad to see that i put a link to that up on the on the blog also and it's worth listening to it's kind of fun kind of has echoes of kind of pirate radio and uh there's a lot of kind of weird music in there i liked it a lot it's not i guess it's not for everybody but thanks for thomas for sharing that with us also we've been discussing recent events with thomas which was quite quite interesting also um pete you mentioned frank K4FMH, and not only did he he mention the the ICQ and Cycle Twenty Five, he sent us both new Haco soldering irons. Yeah, they. Our last podcast, I was lamenting <laughs> that I was couldn't find a good iron. I got I I like the Haco. Uh, one I have has a go to sleep feature. So when you put the when you put the iron in the stand, it goes to sleep, which means it drops from seven hundred degrees Fahrenheit down to about 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And so when, and when you pick it up, it just takes a couple seconds to get back up to 700, and then it beeps to tell you that the thing is ready to ready to rock and roll. So I like it. Thank you very much, Frank, for, for sending that to us. Um, hey, Peter. What, what, what else do you need, Bill, so we can put the word out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that you mentioned it, okay, there's a, there's a particular VFO vfo deluxe d-l-l-d-e-l-u-x-e i think it was done by gonset but a vfo deluxe from about 1965 to about 1975 i need one because if i have one 
with the HA600 and my DX40, I will be able to, to live the dream by recreating my teenage first station. The only part that I miss is the VFO Deluxe. Deluxe with an E. You guys who know about this one know what I'm talking about. There's got to be, somebody's got to have one down in the basement or up in the attic. Let me know. I need one of these. Thank you, Pete, for reminding me that. Another Peter. How many Peters are there in ham radio? This is, uh, we've never know. really understood this. Peter, VK2EMU down there in Australia sends us so much good stuff. Such a great guy. Uh, and he sent us recently, we, we did a thing on poetry. We've had some poetry on the blog, which is kind of unusual. But then he sent us one CW poetry about this really kind of curmudgeonly CW operator. And the poetry is written in CW shorthand. It kind of blew my mind. I might, I might put it up soon. But it reminded me of W2OY. You know, no kids, no lids, no space cadets, no funny phonetics. Ooh, there's some grumpy people out there. Anyway, this the CW poetry was kind of was kind of harsh, but thank you for sending that, Peter. Another Pete, Pete WB9FLW, Pete Eaton. So many Petes. Um, he's looking at DSB rigs. I always like to hear about people looking at double sideband, a neglected mode, with many advantages. So Pete's looking at that. <laughs> then we got a nice email from Drew N7DA. He was talking with this back when we were talking about my desire to either replace the Moxon or go with a with a hex beam, and he he talked about the possible utility of bamboo, and he he noted in his email that he he feels that he's not a real not really a real ham because he hasn't built a quad from bamboo. <laughs> Hey, an input on that, um, you know, m lots of times uh, landscaping places have bamboo, yeah. but rug dealers, people that... Rugs. Rugs. In the center. Are, are yeah. wrapped up on bamboo. As a matter of fact, the rugs tend to be the heavier bamboo, you know, like at the at the base is like an inch and a half, not, not yeah. a half inch. Uh-huh. So... Well, I mean, this is the information that... That Drew desperately needs. He, he wants to know which type of landscape bamboo is best for antennas. And I'm sure that the Solder Smoke Brotherhood and Sisterhood out there will will know the answer to this. Pete, one Pete inch, has... One inch. That's minimum. One inch, yeah. But I mean, what, what species of bamboo? Oh, I think that's what we're oh okay. What kind? Is it, you know, Malaysian bamboo or, you know, decorative, you know, Australian bamboo? This is the kind of stuff we need to know. Um. Anyway, I, but I, I really like your suggestion about the rug, uh, the rug rolls. That's 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 another one too. Good, really good. Ryan Flowers of miss.geek.com. Ryan's a great guy. He he posts really great stuff. We've talked about some of his work on the micro SDX. He's also watching the YouTube videos of the reconstruction of the sailing yacht Tally Ho by Leo Sampson and his girlfriend. <laughs> Well, the the yeah, he's, you know, the girlfriend's going to be back. She's, <laughs> she's been kind of, you know, COVID has kept her in the UK, but I, the word is she's coming back, which is a good move. Leo should Leo should definitely uh, close the deal on that one. She she seemed quite. Remember quite the lovely. campaign we had with the guy that, from the UK that took his girlfriend to Italy, and and, he, and, and, and and then she 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 tolerated his 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 QRP activity on on very romantic mountaintops, and we said keeper <laughs> yeah he did yeah anyway we hope leo uh, leo gets smart there 
And he and, and Ryan wants to put a whisper beacon on the tally ho when it eventually goes to sea. I love it. Like the idea. I told him don't don't pay any attention to all of the licensing worrywarts who will emerge from the woodwork and say, they got to have a license. Hey, look, if you could put them in balloons and let them fly around the world, you could put them on the tally ho. Well, or do anyway, like Marlon uh, Brando did. He, he bought an island, declared it a yeah. separate country, and issued himself a ham license. <laughs> it's an option. Yeah. <laughs> cool. um, we got a, we got some really cool email from Joe KF five O W Y, and he like me has been sort of thinking about how diode ring mixers do their thing. Why is it that a diode ring is capable of multiplying by one and negative one? You look at those diodes, you think they they're not capable of multiplication. And he started thinking about it and looking at diagrams, and he started to figure it out. Then he started to say, wait a second, can I actually see this action on my scope? I had done this, and I sent him some ideas on how you could actually see this multiplication by one and negative one, and he was able to do it. So uh, congratulations to Joe KF5OWY. This is the kind of thinking about how things really work that I think gets you into the situation that Pete often mentions, when you know stuff, you can do stuff. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, well, the trig says that it's going to be a sum and difference output. How? How does it do that? How do those diodes know how to multiply by one and negative one? You, you, you can come to understand this, and it's, 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 uh, it's really fun then to take your little Rigol scope and, and see it you know, in action. Move beyond the trigonometry. Uh, Jim, AB9CN, sent us a very cool idea about how to get a 20 and 17 meter moxon working. It's kind of complicated. It, it has to do with, you have, have to have some relays up the, on the antenna that switch in some different matching circuitry and change the lengths. But it was intriguing, and I, I like it. I think, I think I'm going to go with a hex beam with elements for 20 and, and 17, just because it's smaller, easier put it up there and not have to worry about fiberglass breaking yeah, and things yeah like and once that. you got the hex beam other bands open up like for instance cycle 25 you might want to think about 10 meters you're right and you're you right. could you could add up. that every time you add a band it's like 400 bucks yeah you 200 could, bucks or something yeah you could add that you know downstream I think it's a good idea I thought i'm gonna think about that yeah um we we heard of um we, we i got some email from roy uh, GM4VKI in Scotland. I thanked him for his article in the recent Sprat. Sometimes Sprat has these little gems that you see them and you think, gosh, that's brilliant. And this was, he put a, somebody put a simple, oh, well, Roy put a simple 2N3904, no other parts, at the output of an NE602. And it, it dramatically increased the, uh, the performance of some of his rigs. It was a modification that cost 10p, 10 pence brilliant and i really like that Be before you leave that subject if you're not already a member of the gqrp club you're wrong you're wrong you better get yep. it though because the next edition will have a featured article about direct conversion receivers by somebody we know by I'm someone sorry. we know yes somebody who's well well aware of of the the technical intricacies so don't delay, gang. Yes. Get your get yes. your subscription you'll, you'll in. Don't out. miss out. You'll be left don't out. Don't miss out. You're and you're all missing out on if you if you don't get Sprat, here's the thing. 
you're missing out on four happy days at the mailbox. When I go out to the mailbox and there's a Sprat sitting there, it is a happy day. All right, No matter what else happened that day, Sprat came. Sprat is in the mailbox. So that, that makes the day happy, and you don't want to miss out on that. So follow Pete's advice. Hey, I, I, I exchanged some emails with Roger Hayward, uh, Wes Hayward's son. I told him I really liked his dad's recent website updates. There was a picture of, of Wes in his, like, 1952 station, and it was really cool to see him there. And, and look at the equipment that he was using. And, and also there was stuff information on his more recent uh, kind of shack and configuration. And I, I, I took... took I took encouragement from the fact that he's using a Rigol scope just like the rest of us now. It kind of moved, moved beyond uh, Tech 465 scopes that, that just aren't holding up too well. But anyway, I really liked uh, Wes's update. There's links to it up on the blog. Check it out. And then finally, we got an email from Farhan over there in India. Farhan's been, they're, they're kind of up against it in India with the, with the pandemic. And Farhan has been struggling with this, taking care of his family and, and really doing a lot of heroic stuff to keep people safe there. But um, he saw the, the, uh, the clip from the Gene Shepard program where Gene Shepard talked about building a shortwave receiver. That is a really great clip. If you got, it's on the Solder Smoke blog. Check it out. It is really, it's an amazing clip because he talks about you know, problems in published schematics, how much heartache they cost. When you build something, the, the, the secondary winding was reversed. It didn't work and how bad he felt. Who's been how, there? Who's been there? <laughs> I've been there. I mean, and it just teaches you that you, you, have, you cannot yeah. assume that the schematic in that magazine is correct. It might not be. Yeah. And then when he finally saw the, the correction and he did it, and he said he got that receiver working, it was like he said it changed his entire life. But the, the regen receiver that he was building was called the Oscillodyne designed by Hugo Gernsback, built by Gene Shepard. And Farhan saw it, and he kind of jokingly cursed me. He said, curse you, N2CQR, curse you, solder smoke. Now I'm going to have to build that thing. <laughs> and I said, Farhan, sure, you're going to have to do it. You, have a, you own a soldering iron, and you have an opposable thumb. Two opposable thumbs, you must build things. That is the, the knack. That's the disease we all have, right, Pete? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Hey, hey, speaking of that, I wanted to share that I had a, a round of emails with Wes Hayward. And uh, that uh, that transceiver that I built, like, similar to Paul Taylor's. Yeah. And uh, so I sent him an email, and I said, by the way, if you ever wonder if anybody ever built stuff, <laughs> solid-state design, I said, here it is. And I sent him a, a video clip. And he said, gee, thanks for sharing that. You know, it was kind of, kind of interesting to I see. It is important to do that, to kind of let people who design yeah. this stuff and who, who publish the articles know that people continue to use their, their ideas and their circuitry. Yeah. And he... You know, we can get down we can get down and think that like you, like when you were talking to um, the uh, RSGB, a group that, that everybody out there, there's just a bunch of appliance operators and it's all hopeless, but that's not true. You know, just about every week on Solder Smoke on the blog... We're getting reports from guys who built interesting stuff. We're planning on building things. You get you get questions from people who are looking for for help, and, and so there's there's a lot of solder being melted out there, and, and we should take encouragement from that. Well, what what also was interesting, um, Wes shared with me that he didn't. That was actually built by Terry, 
uh, who had a KL7 call, he's now got a K7 call, and he said, he immediately sent it to him and says, okay, Terry, what, what you put in the in in the solid state design here it is vintage 2020 you know so it was kind of cool because the 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 guy who actually built the hardware now i got a chance to see it some 40 years later you know here here it is it's kind of cool i was really pleased that dean kk4das my my neighbor and our 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 friend who's who's made so much progress has managed to pick up a copy of solid state design for the radio amateur yes so he will he will make good use of it Good stuff. Cool. Pete, we've been rambling on here for one hour and 20 minutes. Yes. Well, it's been, it's a lot been, of over, fun. It's been over a month since our last one because it was uh, December the 15th. So uh, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's been a while. Anyway, Pete, thanks very much for another great episode of Solder Smoke. Glad to see you got all those projects going on out there. Yes, this is the month of the eyes. When's the eyes? You know, we had insurrection, we had impeachment, inauguration, and tomorrow is introspection. Introspection. Okay, introspection is good. It's all, all good <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> the month of the eyes. <laughs> Pete, thanks very much. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Seven threes from the left coast. Thanks a lot, Pete. We'll see you. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!